Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is brought to you this week by the Amarillo Economic Development Corporation. The Amarillo EDC promotes business expansion in the greater Amarillo area to build a stronger economy and increase the wealth of the community. You can learn more about the ways the Amarillo EDC is attracting new business and industry by visiting AmarilloEDC.com or following at AmarilloEDC on social media. So up until now, with a couple of exceptions, this podcast has focused on people who live here in Amarillo. It's, it's always been my goal, however, to also highlight people with Amarillo connections, maybe people who grew up here and, and have gone on to do something interesting somewhere else, but for whom Amarillo and its people still play a big part of their story. And that describes today's guest, the documentary filmmaker Michael Rowley. Michael went to Amarillo High School and a year at Amarillo College, and right now he's putting the finishing touches on a new documentary feature film. The film is called Hurdle. It's about Palestinian youth practicing the sport of parkour on the barriers that separate them from Israel. Now, Michael and I talk about him growing up in Amarillo, about his background in art and theology, and about how Amarillo's creative community from 10 years ago launched him into what he's doing now. Now, Michael lives in Dallas, uh, so we conducted this interview over the phone rather than in person. Uh, so the audio sounds a little bit different, but uh, I think this is a fun episode. Here's Michael Rowley. Michael Rowley, welcome to the Hamarillo hey podcast. I appreciate you being here. Yeah, thanks, Jason. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, so I, I want to talk about the film, definitely. I want to talk about the things you're doing. But before we get to that point, I'd, I'd like to just sort of hear your story. So tell me uh, about your connection to Amarillo. Sure. Amarillo, uh, I was born and raised there. So I spent first 18 years of my life in Amarillo. And actually, after college, came back to Amarillo for about a year and a half. So it's very much still home. And my parents are still there. And my wife's family's there. So it's definitely uh, the hometown for us. Where did you go to high school? I went to Amarillo High. So yeah, I grew up actually like right on the border of Randall District and Amarillo High District over by Westover Middle School, but when growing up, actually that school wasn't there and none of that development was there, so a lot of that part of town has changed quite a bit, yeah. but went to Amarillo High and graduated in 07, so okay. blow, sand, blow, right? Yeah, no kidding. So were, were you <laughs> into like, you know, filmmaking or audio-visual audio kinds of stuff when you were in high school? Is that something that developed later? Yeah, so I first picked up a camera at about age 16, actually 14, 15 maybe, and really got into photography. Amarillo was, luckily it's just a place where you can really kind of explore creative endeavors as you wish. It's kind of a safe place to figure things out. And, you know, I started at an early age doing theater at Amarillo College and doing those summer youth musicals and then got into playing music. I played drums in some bands in Amarillo. So shout out to those guys. I think some of them are there. But then around sophomore year of high school, I took a trip with an Amarillo High group over to Europe, and I bought my first camera and was just really hooked on photography and telling stories through photo and video. And then also just it provides a way for you to 
put things into context or see things through a different lens, no pun intended. Yeah. But, so it was really about sophomore year that I first started getting into visual arts. Tell me about your your decision to go to college and, and leaving the area for that. What uh, what was the process there? Well, there, there were a lot of things at play, honestly. Um, I actually went to Amarillo College uh, for my first year, and I was a graphic design major. I was getting my associates in graphic design and studio art, and the classic tale of my high school sweetheart went off to another college in Oklahoma, and the relationship... I was going to see her basically every three weeks and it was a long drive and we just decided that we would uh, go to school with one another and ultimately it was a good choice for me, but Amarillo College was great and then uh, we spent about three years in Tulsa, Oklahoma and we're still married to this day, so I guess it was the right decision. And then once you left Amarillo College uh, and and went to Tulsa, so what was your degree path there? That's also kind of interesting. I um, I went to a private school in Tulsa called Oral Roberts University, okay. and I studied I studied theology there. Um, I kind of took a switch, and um, also minored in studio art. So I kept doing the artistic approach to schooling. But really, as you know, like Amarillo is a highly churched city, and I was raised in the church. My parents were pastors, and my brother had gone to the same school in Tulsa, uh, my older brother. And so I went there and really I studied theology to figure out what I thought about all of these things that I had been raised in and kind of steeped in, in many ways throughout my life. And it was, it was a difficult experience because like the culture of ORU was very, um, strict. And yeah, I was going to ask, is, is ORU a a good place to be asking those kinds of questions? I mean, what's the, no, it's not. (laughs) Well, I mean, yes and no, like the theology department was actually filled with professors of different thought processes and approaches to faith. So, uh, luckily I was able to approach Christian religion as a religion and kind of understanding it as such, rather than just being handed, here's the truth and just accept it. So it was, in that way, it was good, and it allowed me to really investigate what I believed and kind of have a deconstruction phase, honestly. But overwhelmingly, the culture of ORU, if you're outside of those like more stricter theology disciplines or studies, the culture is very much not conducive to questioning things. So it, it was a difficult time, but uh, we made it through to the other side, and uh, I have to thank it at least for like broadening, giving me the chance to like broaden my understanding and uh, approach life how how I wanted to. So okay, so um, tell me about I guess the the path that you traveled after after graduating from college. So did you know you wanted to sure. get into videography, cinematography, that that sort of field, or um, did that sort of just kind of fall into place? Yeah, it was always I always wanted to be in the creative arts. But, um, you know, the theology thing was such, was such a big part of my life and identity. I felt like I had to figure out who I was in order to know what I wanted to say moving forward. So I always wanted to be in the visual arts and pursued, started pursuing filmmaking towards the end of my college career. And Meredith and I actually became pretty nomadic for quite a few years. We first moved back to Amarillo, as I said, and spent about a year and a half there or maybe two years I'm not quite sure but I 
started my freelance career there and just we were dirt poor and I was just figuring out the ins and outs of uh, finding clients and delivering products and marketing yourself and I was lucky that the Amarillo community was super supportive of that and uh, found ways for me to create videos and really hone my craft there and then we moved to Phoenix, Arizona for a job and lived there for about three years and then hopped over to Washington, D.C., where we spent about better part of a year, but not quite a year, and worked there for some NGOs that were based in D.C., and then ended up in Dallas about three years ago. So um, family's closer, and I'm just doing my freelance career here. My wife is a teacher and really enjoying it. Having lived in those different places, um, Phoenix, D.C., Dallas, I mean, those are much larger than the environment you grew up in in Amarillo. Sure. Um, Tulsa, yeah. too, I guess. So compare, you know, the I guess the experience you had as a kid here to what your adult experience has been in those those larger places. Ooh, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I think kind of hearkening back to what I said earlier, Amarillo really is, I was lucky to come from a place of privilege where we had the things that we needed. And so survival wasn't really in question. So it allowed me the space and Amarillo, I think in general has kind of a bubble about it, not in a bad way. I don't mean it in negative connotation, but it is a safe place. It's a place for people to where community cares about one another and people champion one another just because you're, their neighbor. And I think living in those different places, that dynamic isn't necessarily always there. Um, because you've got larger amounts of people, obviously you don't know everyone and you have to kind of find your own way in your own group. And But also at the same time, living in those other places, you're exposed to just so many other things that you might not have been exposed to. If you had just stayed in Amarillo for your entire life or just not traveled enough to get out and see some other things. So I'm honestly really grateful for the fact that we got to move to these different cities and really see different people's experiences. I think it helps you to empathize a little bit better with people outside of your context, understand people that uh, you might have understood as the other, yeah. as just human beings that have an experience and that is much different from yours. And they were raised... Uh, very different way than you might have been or had less privilege or these types of things. So definitely grateful for the exposure that these other places have brought. And also friendships. We continue and to have friends all over the U.S. just because of this fact. And it's just been great community building all along. Okay, so let's let's talk about that a little bit. Um, you know, your sure. your ability to empathize with the other, with people who grew up unlike you, in the context of, of your new film project. So um, sure. talk to me about Hurdle and about the process of figuring out that this was a story that you wanted to tell. So Hurdle is definitely very much a story about a human experience that is very different from my own growing up and being able to understand and empathize with it, uh, not pity it, but to just better understand uh, a conversation that a lot of us have about a certain conflict. So Hurdle is actually a documentary feature film that is set in Israel and the Palestinian territories. 
And really, it's a story of creativity in the face of adversity. It's a story of the human spirit really striving to overcome obstacles in order to harness and find self-determination and freedom. So I was actually working for an NGO uh, based in D.C. and Jerusalem, and I was telling video stories of people affected by the Israeli-Palestinian conflict from both sides. And it was just a life-changing experience for me. Going back to being raised in an evangelical context, I had always been told about or encouraged to support any policy or decision that the state of Israel made. And I always had an understanding of Palestinians as being an enemy rather than an ally. And it, it was... Uh, an unhealthy stereotype, I think, in my opinion, that these people were just inherently violent. And so in this experience of working with this NGO, I started seeing people from both sides that we're all human. We all have this um, background. We have this upbringing. And we all share the same hope for security, dignity, and freedom. And it was during this time that I was filming over there that I heard about these young men who were practicing parkour on this giant wall. It's uh, the Israeli separation wall, and it runs straight through the country and kind of cuts off Palestinian communities from one another and limits their freedom of movement. And these young men were practicing this sport that is based on like gymnastics and freedom of movement. And they were running and jumping off of this very wall that was built to keep them contained. And I thought that this was just a profound thing that they were using this uh, tool of control and turning it into a launch pad for their freedom. So I thought it was a brilliant approach it's to a, a nice a metaphor creative. built right into that story already. Yeah, totally. It's yes, exactly. It's freedom of movement for these young men in, in an environment where their, uh, their people are experiencing a lack of freedom of movement. So I don't want to be too long-winded, but I reached out to them in November 2016 and asked them whether they wanted to tell the, the story together, and they agreed. So I actually went over in November, and we filmed for about two weeks, and I thought this is pretty profound, and I think there's a lot of story here to uncover. So over the course of 2017, I went back and forth and spent about two months on, two months off, so about six months of 2017 in Israel and the Palestinian territories. And uh, what I discovered, and many people maybe have seen the uh, trailer that's on our Facebook or on our website, and it shows some footage from the first two weeks of being there, and these young men are practicing parkour, it's really cool. They talk about finding freedom through the sport of parkour. And, but what I had found over 2017 was that there was a growing movement of Palestinian youth who are using creativity as a form of finding self-determination. And it, on one side of the wall, I found the parkour team. And then on the other side of the wall in the West Bank, I found a young man named Mohammed who is also leading, leading the youth of the refugee camp that he lives in, in practicing photography and storytelling through video. And so, honestly, the story just kind of turned into uh, the story of these two young leaders um, living on either side of the wall, divided 
by this barrier, but united in the spirit of creative uh, resistance and self-determination. So I, I know that, you know, here in the United States, and, and you touched on this a little bit, whether it's theologically or culturally or, or whatever side, you know, you want to draw from, but we have a lot of um, misconceptions about either the Palestinian people or even what's happening in Israel. You know, if, if you only watch the news, you think it's a place where there's constantly violence and conflict and all this stuff happening. Um, you know, what, what did you find when you got there in, in terms of how actually being on the ground among the Palestinian people, among the Jewish people, the West Bank? I mean, were you surprised by anything there? Yeah, absolutely. And it was kind of the story that I was searching for, I think. It's just, um, like I said, this is this story, um, amidst all of this conflict and the violence that we see, we only see headlines and maybe snippets of people throwing stones or soldiers walking through streets. But this is a very human story. So Hurdle really just focuses on the depths and layers of these young men and, like, the hopelessness that they can feel, but also the the hope that they find through uh, their creative practices. And I think, you know, what was most surprising to me, and I think to an, uh, an American audience, is how much we might be able to relate to these young men at, at the end of watching this film. I think we might uh, be able to find ourselves standing in their shoes a little bit better to where we understand their experience and maybe their motivations a little bit better. At least that's my hope. And I think through personal stories and through these just in-depth looks, intimate looks into the access of their lives, um, I think we can walk away better educated about uh, how we should move forward to find a peaceful solution because these con- this conflict has lasted a long time and both sides would like to see it uh, finished and completed, less violence and more peace would be in everyone's favor. So I think the more we can highlight the reality of the situation for real people on the ground, uh, the better it is for everyone. And I, I know you're still um, sort of wrapping up the project itself, but in terms of, you know, whether it's your family or your friends, um, you know, living in a conservative place like Texas, a place where you know, American sympathies are are so often tied to Israel rather than to Palestine. I mean, you mentioned seeing them as as the enemy or or the other side. Have uh, just in the process of making this, have you heard from people who have wondered, you know, why are you doing this or why are you focusing on one side other than um, this side? Yeah, absolutely. Lots of questions for sure. And um, thankfully and humbly, I think through this, these conversations, uh, the the objective of the film is starting to work. Like, I think people are less informed about it than they might previously know, Or, but once they start hearing about these personal stories or my personal experiences over there, uh, some of the walls start to come down, hopefully. But there has been some pushback, and I totally understand people feel very strongly about this issue, and it's understandable because many people have been hurt by this issue. So... There's a lot of trauma wrapped up in it. I think through the conversations, I'm starting to see, like, even with my parents, like, for example, shout out to them. You know, whenever I first started telling them about this project, I was a little bit nervous. But slowly, as they've been exposed to more stories, they want to see both sides at peace. And it's not an anti-Israel 
message at all. It is just a pro-Palestinian message. It doesn't have to be one or the other. And for me, not telling both sides of the story, honestly, this film is about these two young men. And I just wanted to focus on their response to overcoming obstacles. I'm not trying to tell the entire story of the conflict. I'm not trying to give context to every single person's experience. I think there's some universal truths in uh, what these young men are experiencing and how they're responding that we can apply to our own lives, we can apply to our own politics here, and we can be inspired by. Tell me about the status of the film uh, right now. So we're, we're toward the end of July. Uh, where are you in the process? Yeah, so we're really excited. We entered into post-production at the beginning of January, and we have just been busting our butts to get to the point that we're at now. And we currently have a rough cut put together. So we've taken months and months of footage, compiled it into the most uh, compelling and best 90 minutes that we possibly could. And we're just continuing to hone it and craft it. We've uh, sent it to a few blind panels who have watched it and given us some feedback. So we're very close to actually finishing uh, the edit of the film. And how the process works after that is you send it off to professional services like sound mixing and color correction. You have to license all the music or if you have a composer, you work with them. And so we're hoping to have the film completed by November at the latest. And the path moving forward from here is we will start applying to film festivals starting in about October. We hope to get accepted into as many film festivals as we can next year and hopefully have a world premiere at the beginning of 2019. So talk to me as an independent filmmaker about the funding process for something like this. I mean, obviously, you've had a lot of expenses just in the travel back and forth uh, to the yeah. Middle East. But, I mean, you've also got expenses coming up uh, in terms of all the post-production, the outside work, submission to, to the different festivals. Um, How is that working for you? Sure. I mean, we have been so generously blessed and supported by friends and family. We also self-funded throughout production, and then we've also gotten a few small foundational grants that got us through production without any debt or borrowing anything or putting anything on credit cards. So that is that's, that's good. Super, yeah, it's super exciting. So um, yes, but post-production is one of the more expensive things, if you can believe it, because you have to pay for these services. So we actually launched a Kickstarter campaign July 9th and or July 10th, and it runs through August 9th. So it is a 30-day uh, campaign. Now that I'm talking to you, we actually, in the first week, we had such an amazing response from people all over the U.S., uh, friends, family, and some strangers that have just chipped into that Kickstarter campaign. But we are continuing to raise money there. As much as we can raise, uh, the better the film will be in the end, and the more people that will be able to get their eyeballs on it. So we are really pushing that hard. And if anyone has any extra change or cash or are inspired by the story or the video that's on the Kickstarter campaign page, we would love your support or sharing the, the page to your social media for sure. So mixing with the Kickstarter and applying for grants about as seriously as possible, we are 
we are on our way to getting this thing done. What's the what's the best way for people to find uh, the Kickstarter, uh, find information about the film? Uh, you can go to hurdlefilm.com. And if you want to go straight to the Kickstarter, it's hurdlefilm.com slash Kickstarter. Um, we're also on Facebook at, at hurdlefilm and on Twitter at hurdlefilm. So all of those places, we blast out all sorts of updates. Um, we have a mailing list that you can sign up for where you actually get exclusive uh, behind-the-scenes stuff before anyone else. If you want to sign up for that on our website, that's a great way to uh, stay in touch as well. And then as, as I understand it, you've got uh, a fundraising event coming up here in Amarillo tied to the, the Kickstarter. Is that right? Yeah, that's, that's right. We're really excited. Um, we are doing a finish line, Kickstarter finish line party on August 4th in Amarillo, the people over at Amarillo or I mean union co-working space in Donovan circle have been gracious enough to allow us to come in and use their space and anyone and everyone is welcome. Please come. We're going to have some light food, some drinks. We're going to show a new teaser trailer and do some Q and a, but mostly me and some of the producers just want to hug everyone and appreciate them for supporting us along the way. Um, yes, but please, on August Saturday, August 4th, it should be at 7 p.m., I think, uh, but we'll be sending out more updates on that, 7 p.m. at Union Coworking. Come and join us, please. Yeah, and uh, Reagan Wilcox of Union Coworking Space yeah. was a previous guest on this podcast. So, Oh, cool. I missed that episode. Yeah, you'll have to go have back, to go back, and, back and, uh, and listen to it. dig into the archives and, and find her. So, Okay, um, cool, for sure. Shout out to Reagan. Then. Shout out to Reagan. Just, I mean, just one last question, you know, as you, as you think about the film, as you think about, you know, what's coming in the next, in the next year or so for you, do you, do you see this documentary process being something that you begin to give more focus on, or is this like a, a one-off sort of deal? Absolutely. I would love to continue making films. Honestly, this has been my dream ever since I picked up a camera and I just never felt fully equipped or prepared to jump into something of this magnitude until about two years ago, whenever we stepped foot into hurdle. And even then I, I didn't feel prepared, but yeah, this, this has been a dream project and a dream experience, but I would love to continue telling these stories. I've never felt so fulfilled in my work as I do when I work on this film. So hopefully more films down the road. We'll, we'll see in the next couple of years or so. So if you live here, you already know that Amarillo is a great place to live, a great place to work. People love raising their families here, and our local high schools and colleges produce extremely talented individuals. But what if those graduates don't stick around? What if they don't stay here in Amarillo? Or what if young workers never discover the quality of life here if nobody tells them about it beforehand? For Amarillo to succeed, we need the unique talents and skills that our future workforce possesses. And it's that thinking that's behind a new workforce development strategy at the Amarillo Economic Development Corporation. Today, the Amarillo EDC is focusing efforts to recruit and retain the best talent to our area, while also investing in our current student population to encourage them to get involved in the local workforce. To do this, the EDC works with community organizations, with school districts and colleges to ensure that our students, that our future workforce is positioned for success. That's why the Amarillo EDC is excited about the next generation of workers here and is working to equip them to create innovative, beneficial solutions 
to improve our community. You can learn more about these workforce development efforts by contacting Sabrina Mech. That's Sabrina at AmarilloEDC.com or following the Amarillo EDC on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Okay, we're back with Michael Rowley of the film Hurdle. Michael, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. I'm okay. going to ask you eight straight questions. And as my guest, your job is to answer those in whatever degree of detail you can. Now, up to this point, all of my guests have actually lived here in Amarillo, and you are currently living somewhere else. I'm hoping that your Amarillo memories and connection are strong enough to be able to answer these questions. Oh, for sure. It never leaves you. Okay. (laughs) The first one is actually not Amarillo related, so we'll get that one out of the way. Who is your favorite documentary filmmaker? That is a tough one. Um, It's hard to pick just one. That's like saying who is your favorite musician, but... uh... I would say that someone who's influenced me a lot is Werner Herzog. Okay. Uh, he, he's, an, he's, a, he's kind of a legend in the field. Some of his films are great. Some are not so great. But I don't know if you've seen Into the Abyss or Grizzly Man or Into the Inferno. Inferno. Yeah, but uh, he just does an amazing job of finding like the essence of the human experience, kind of as this wild way of stepping out of being human in a way and reinvestigating what our experience is. So if you haven't seen a Werner Herzog film, I suggest uh, checking it out. But then also there's this new filmmaker. I don't know if he's new, but he was nominated for an Oscar, I think, last year. He's Syrian, and his name is Faris Fayyad. He has a documentary that is called The Last Men in Aleppo. It's heart-wrenching, but it's just beautifully shot and a beautifully told story. So I recommend those two okay. as starters. Okay. So you have lived in multiple places since growing up in Amarillo. How do you describe Amarillo to people outside the area? I mean, when they say, tell me about where you grew up, what do you tell them? It's a good question because a lot of people have driven through Amarillo. So they either come through on I-40 or I-27 and their only experience is driving on those highways. So sometimes their opinion, just because of the flatness and maybe it's brown, they're like, oh man, I'm sorry you grew up there. I so, And legitimately I say, no, like you don't understand. Amarillo has this special appeal and the people there, it's, it's just all about the people. It's hard to explain, but in all honesty, every city that we've lived in, we have found people or we're drawn to people that are from West Texas or from Amarillo and we find ourselves uh, hanging out with them just because I think we understand one another's experience and I don't know, there's just a solid, authentic, genuine side of the people that live there. So that's usually what I'll tell people. Okay. What does Amarillo have too much of? Mm. Is this a question that gets people into trouble? Occasionally, uh, sometimes people start apologizing before they actually answer the question, but... Uh... Sure. <laughs> well, I would say I, I've noticed a lot of buzz on social media about road construction, but because I'm, I, I'm not there and I'm not experiencing it, I'll just let you guys complain about that. But I used to say that you could throw a rock in Amarillo and either hit a bank or a church. Like, it seems like there's one or the other on every single corner. Not that I want to throw stones at either of those places, but there are a lot of them. 
That's so true. I'm, I don't know if I don't know if we want a super bank or a super church, but that those are some things that there's a lot in the Amarillo. Okay, what does Amarillo not have enough of? Not actually, not to take it to a serious note, but uh, water. I've been thinking about this quite a bit lately about the aquifer and the lack of rain. Um, I sometimes wonder what is in store for maybe two generations down the road in Amarillo. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know all of the science behind it, but um, from what I hear, it might need to be some sort of solution or changes to how we approach getting our water. So I would hate to see Amarillo dry up, such a vibrant community filled with good people. Water is lacking, though. Yeah, I I think that's legit. Um, What's what's your all-time favorite local restaurant, your Favorite Amarillo restaurant, I guess. This is a this is another classic Amarillo question. There's something about restaurants in Amarillo that everyone uh, gets jazzed about. Like it seems like every single time a new one opened, it, that one would be busy for three months, yeah, four it's, months. It's an hour crazy. wait for you know the the first season that it's in existence. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. And the go to vernacular seems like we got a blank. Yeah. Like, we got a Fred. We got a Freddy's. It's like, all right, we roped it in. It's pretty awesome. But uh, man, there's just so much good food. So can I do stages of my life? Oh sure, yeah. Let's in do Amarillo. That. Okay, so like I remember as a young kid going to Santa Fe restaurant and bar. Do you remember yep. that? I do a remember Mexican Santa Fe. Thirty thirty fourth and Coulter. Yeah, exactly. Yep. They had some delicious queso in high school. I would eat at Crazy Larry's Barbecue pretty much maybe once or twice a week. A shout-out to the Frito Pie at Crazy Larry's, and he's one of the nicest people in Amarillo. Located on Tecla Um, and still there today. Yeah, totally. Uh, We'll go there every once in a while whenever we go back. So, Uh, And then probably like towards later high school, college, during my time at AC, I kind of lived on La Bella Pizza, which the Olsen and Hillside... And then um, I guess today, whenever people are driving through and they ask me, like, where should I stop? I tell them, like, the classic spot is Golden Light um, on 6th Street that you just have to have some Texas beef, a nice cheeseburger. And I think that kind of sums up the Amarillo experience in a lot of ways. That's a solid list. Yeah. I mean, you can't you can't choose one. Yeah. I mean, it depends I, on the mood. I understand. <laughs> or the, the age of life. Yeah, totally. Well, my metabolism can't really handle all of those anymore, but if I'm splurging, then I'll hit those up. Okay. So uh, this is a question I've asked multiple guests to try to get you to identify yourself with a certain team in Amarillo. Are you a Pack-A-Sack guy or a Toot and Totem guy? I think, man, Toot and Totem is legendary status, but I first started driving uh, when I first started driving, there was a Pack-A-Sack down the street from my house. So that was the place where I always like filled up my car with gas and went inside to get like Eads beef jerky. So I think I got to tip the scales towards Pack-A-Sack. What's your favorite kind of Amarillo weather? Has anyone ever said like 50 mile an hour straight wind? Um, I've had one guy talk about how much he likes blizzards. Um, so I, yeah, oh, you, could, nice. you could go with the but wind. Not the wind. <laughs> Well, I'm just kidding. I think my favorite, favorite, my favorite season in the Amarillo is definitely the summer because it's amazing how it cools down at night. 
and thunderstorms are awesome and the sunsets are just crazy so i might just have to go with the uh summer summer rainstorm thunderstorm and then uh the the last question when was the last time you went to cadillac ranch probably two years ago at new year's we had some friends we we did new year's in amarillo for a few years and they came in from nashville and los angeles and so we went out there and spray painted was was it the kind of thing where they were coming to Amarillo and that was on their list of things to do, places to go? Some of them, yeah. Some of them weren't from there, but some of them, again, were friends that we had met throughout the cities that we've lived in and were from Amarillo, so uh, it, it's a nostalgic thing for sure. If, I, if it's not too long of an answer, I actually got my first taste of documentary filmmaking out at the Cadillac Ranch, like a friend of mine from... Plainview named Samuel Smith and him and his brother Matt Smith were filming a documentary short documentary about Stanley Marsh and so I was helping film and run audio and so we spent spent some time out at Cadillac Ranch filming so that was kind of my first taste in the actual documentary world cool so that uh, that concludes uh, the eight straight questions, Michael. I, I I like to close the episode by asking my guest to endorse something related to the area. Uh, and I know you don't currently live here, but what's something that you would sure. want Amarillo listeners to to know about or to experience? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. But uh, I think I would like to endorse. You know, there's a lot of great stories coming out of Amarillo about welcoming the refugee community in Amarillo and so many great nonprofits and some faith leaders that are really stepping up and helping people that are in a vulnerable state. And I think that says so much about the Amarillo community. I I, I think you, you could Google like how to help out the refugees in Amarillo. I know Refugee Services of Texas and Catholic Family Services. And um, I know Redeemer Christian Church does a lot for refugees as well. So that really hits home with the story of Hurdle and uh, just really championing people whenever they're going through an intense struggle. So I want to endorse that. And then um, secondly, I'm just really pumped and excited on how much creativity that is coming out of like the younger generation or my generation and younger. Um, there are just so many creatives and young, talented artists and entrepreneurs like yourself that and filmmakers and musicians that are really just going after their craft and trying to make Amarillo into a place that uh, champions them. So I got to give a shout out to all you young creatives that are sticking with it and making it happen. Oh, I I appreciate that you think I'm young. That's that's very humbling. Well, (laughs) (laughs) we didn't have the age discussion, but yeah, no, seriously, the podcast has been so awesome. You know, I listen uh, to some episodes from over here. It's really good to get a beat, not only on just like the sod poodles, but also just, you know, everything else that is happening. So thank you for championing stories like this and stories of other people in Amarillo doing cool stuff. Yeah, it's uh, it's my pleasure. Michael Rowley, thank you for being on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Jason. And that concludes the episode. I, I want to say thanks to the Amarillo Economic Development Corporation for sponsoring the show and to Michael Rowley for the interview. And for what it's worth, Amarillo plays a big role on his entire filmmaking team with Andrew Brown, a lifelong Amarillo resident until a couple of years ago, uh, producing the film. Uh, another producer is Remoy Phillip, who's another Amarillo native. Um, so it's, it's an Amarillo team doing this. 
As Michael mentioned, you can learn more about Hurdle by visiting hurdlefilm.com or following at hurdlefilm on social media. And if you want to contribute to the guy's Kickstarter campaign, go to hurdlefilm.com slash kickstarter. And don't forget about the Amarillo event on August 4th that's coming up at Union Hall Coworking Space. As for this podcast, find out more at heyamarillo.com. Dig into the archives. Uh, Leave a review on Facebook or on uh, Apple Podcasts. Tell people about the show. Thank you for listening. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.